Hello and welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. I'm Lockie Bradford. And I'm Robbie Hicks. On today's episode, we sit down with Shana Kennedy, well-being specialist, life coach, and all-round legend. Locke, she was, she was really, really good. I enjoyed this chat. Oh, mate. It, it come at a really good time for me, I think. So she's uh, definitely inspired me and made me think about life in a different way. So I hope the listeners take a bit out of this and, yeah, let us know what you think. I, I really liked it. Talking about um, practical tips and strategies to deal with problems you may have in your life or how to set direction, how to set some bigger goals for yourself and um, create clarity, direction and purpose in your life. So yeah, Shana's a legend and we're lucky enough to sit down with her. So hope you enjoy. We want to know like how you got into life coaching, like what, what is life coaching and yeah, how, how you sort of got involved and how it got started for you. Yeah, it's fascinating really because um, the only reason I got into life coach, well, there's a couple. One was I needed one. And the second one was it was um, an opening that I saw really for myself as a future career. So if we wind back, I was in sports marketing for a long time and it was a Jerry Maguire type job. So it was seven days a week because sports on the weekend. So, you know, my husband always said I was the ultimate catch because I, I was all about sport. And um, my job was to buy and sell athletes and, and negotiate contracts for them. And, and then on the weekend, go and watch them at events and make friends with the mum and the dog and the auntie and whatever it took to make them fall in love with the brand that I was working for. And I had about 200 athletes in 10 different sports. And I married my job. I loved it. I was in my 20s. I'm traveling country. I was going to Olympic Games. <clears throat> Excuse me. Just living, living the dream. And then I got chronic fatigue. So I burnt out before I was 30. I just went so hard and I was such this A-type overachieving perfectionist and love setting goals, love ticking them off, love burning the candle at every end and not having any self-care strategy for myself whatsoever. And, um, and not really honoring being the best version of myself, I, I would have to say. And so I got really sick and it took, took my health away. And, you know, 30, 30, 20 years later, I'm, I'm still dealing with chronic fatigue on a daily basis. So it really did cost me my health, but it was also my gift because I was sitting there, I was sick for a long time and I was in bed for about a year and I was thinking all of my athletes were coming to me all the time about their life. And, you know, I saw what happened to life after sport. And you have to remember 20 years ago, when you finished your sport, you were just on the scrap heap. No one cared about you. Don't want to hear your name again. Used, used and gone. And it was, it's really interesting that it's come this far so quickly because I wanted to coach athletes into retirement. What's your plan? What's your plan for life after sport? And I was really passionate about it. So I went and studied life coaching 20 years ago, probably one of the first in Melbourne to get a certificate of coaching. And no one even knew what a life coach was. So they all thought I was a complete idiot. Like, why would you leave your high paying Fabo corporate job to become a life coach? And no one could see my vision really, except from my husband who also worked in sport. And he said, there's nobody cares. There's no program. There's no one's written the book yet. So I studied and, and wanted to coach them into retirement. And then it turned very corporate very quickly because corporates were saying, what about us, you know? what happens when you leave Macquarie Bank and you don't know who you are and you've been on this treadmill for a long time? So one of the first questions for me is, who are you without your job? And I found that nobody had really done the work on themselves as the person or treated you like you, you're the business. And, um, you know, St Kilda Football Clubs works, works for the business of you or Macquarie Bank works for the business of you. It's you're the business and everything that you do has to serve the business in some way. And when we flipped it around like that, everybody was like interested all of a sudden. And I was like, okay, here I go. So that's how it all started, I suppose. And I got myself a coach when I was in the midst of chronic fatigue because I didn't need a counselor or a psychologist. I actually wanted someone who would help me project forward and hold my hand and set goals and pace me because I'm, and try to do things too quickly and burn out again. So how could I set up my life so that I would have longevity in my career 
um, and be able to have a family and have kids and have a marriage and be really fit and have a couple of businesses. How could I do all of that if I can't learn the art of pacing? That's unreal. I think chronic fatigue is one of those. My sister struggled through high school with chronic fatigue and uh, led to some other health problems. So it's a big topic that's been really relevant to my family. So I'm really keen to hear how you've sort of managed and dealt with some of those strategies specifically around chronic fatigue. That'd be fantastic. Um, yeah, well, with chronic fatigue, with me came depression, really deep depression, because my body won't do what my mind wants it to do. And the other thing is you don't look sick. So, you know, people are like, what's wrong with you? Let's go out more, you know, let's go out later. And you're like, oh, no, 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 because that's like the big warning signs that, you know, it's all going to fall into a giant heap. So it was about, for me, embracing it and learning to see it as my gift and to learn to dance with it instead of try and run away from it. And when you have chronic fatigue, it's a little bit like your system has got a crack in it. If you think of a car engine, it's got a crack and you push it really hard, it's gonna burst open again. Yeah. So there is a crack that you need to learn to live with and dance with. and. And I think, it's, I think it's actually been my gift because instead of being an achievement junkie, which I was, um, I've learnt to allow a little bit of fulfilment to come in as well and pace myself and ground myself the whole time. And, and even though I travel around and speak and do these amazing things, it's, I work for my health first and foremost. And it's a pretty big thing to get your head around when you have to do that. And with depression and working with that, it's about, you know, what, what's my strategy when it comes in? Because it comes in and it goes out. So I know that when it comes in, I need to write it down. I need to own it. I need to say, I feel like crap. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to see anyone. I need to own it. And then I've got my, my go-to list of when that happens. Of this is who I'll call. This is who I need to text. This is what they're going to say back to me. Um, these are the supplements I need to take. Um, and these are the affirmations I need to retrain my brain with. So I think for a lot of people, they haven't probably done the work to accept it and work with it and then build a plan. And part of the reason I wrote my book, The Life Plan, was people need a plan. You, you can't just be out there waving your hands around. You actually need a nice, solid, simple grounding plan to help you through um, and to go and get those goals for your life, really. So if you don't have those frameworks and structures in place to, to work at a sustainable pace, you're never going to be able to achieve those things. No. Yeah, and I, and I, I work with so many burnt out people who got their law degree and, and went in and worked really hard and just burnt out because they, they just forgot the, to, the pace and, um, and it, came, it comes at a really big cost. I think one of the ways that um, my mum has to dumb things down for me sometimes and how she explained it to me when my sister was going through stuff was that, if you think of energy as a number of marbles in your pocket, you've only got X amount of marbles you can spend per day. If you burn out too many, they don't recharge quick enough. So the day after you've spent too much, you cook the day after. And if you've had yeah. two big days in a row, you might, be, you might be cooked for a week. That was... Yeah, a perfect way to explain it. And, and also that they don't come back in as quick as they went out. So you might have a sleep for a normal person and you feel great the next day. But for someone with chronic fatigue, that, that might take a week or two weeks or three weeks or six months. So you've got to be really careful about that. I have to constantly refuel in order to get that marble to go out and give that energy out. And, and sometimes it's just not going to, the refuel might be slower than other times. Mm. That'd be hard to accept too, I suppose, when you're, when you're faced with something like that. If you're a high achiever and you're in that sort of flow and zone and this is my life, this is my identity and all of a sudden it's stripped you know what I mean and all of a sudden it's not the number one priority anymore is that where you see a lot of the the sort of mental battles and the demons sort of are born from I suppose yeah well I, I was my job I married my job so who is Shanna without the job was very depressing it yeah. was no but I'm really popular because I've got lots of money to spend on people so everyone was my best friend um, I had a lot of product to give out for free. So everyone was my best friend. And then when you're sick, oh, there's no more friends. Like you've got nothing. You haven't built yourself as a person. And that's a massive, massive thing to own up to. And, and it's really confronting. And that's why working with a coach through it was probably the best thing that I could have done for myself. Because, yeah, it is, it's, it's 
getting whacked over the head big time. Love that. But take us back to when you, you moved out of your, I'm really interested to hear how it went early doors with helping athletes post-sport. It's a topic that I'm really interested in mm. because it's something that really resonates with me because I, I, I hear you when it says there's not much help. I was lucky enough that um, I got put in a program, an AFL pathway program that allowed that hired two people that allowed, got me into my, my job that say six years ago now that allowed me a pathway to something different. But prior to that, I was out the door at 19, no more phone calls, no more love, no more anything. Had to pick myself up and try and figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Applied for 150 jobs. Couldn't had people crossing off football off my resume in yeah. an interview and telling me, why would you even put that on your CV? So I had th- facing things like that, trying to transfer, um, I guess, my skill set of what I learned from being a professional athlete into a new career. And I found it really, really challenging. So I'm very thankful for the people that put um, some support around me, but there was few and far between, if we put it that way. Oh yeah. Um, and, and you can imagine 20 years ago what it was like. So I saw a lot of people, you know, unfortunately take their life, lose all of the money that they'd earned in their great career as well. Um, go into alcoholism and gambling and all these kind of self-soothing um, pathways because they actually hadn't had a plan that they thought was exciting about life after sport. So it's about building the plan early in your career. So instead of, you know, wanting to work with athletes that were at the end of their career, I started to say, no, I need to work with athletes at the beginning so that they see I can really enjoy my seating for me. So they felt a lot more supported. So I think it's really important that we all have a plan B whether we're an athlete or not, we're all athletes of life, really. So we think we're going along this path, but we can get a curveball at any time. And what's your plan B? You know, if, if that all didn't work, what else could work? And I think it's really important that people um, just don't get too stuck on that one plan. But the life plan was written because most people don't even know their own set of values. They'll know the values of the footy club. They know the values of the, their employer or the company that they work for, but they don't know their own. And we're not taught in school how to identify what your own value system is. And you work for your values when things are going well. And the book sort of takes you through, and what I coach people is in, the the foundation piece, the concrete, is your set of values. And that's who you get up for every day and you work for. So your health, my family, my sense of achievement is absolutely who I go to work for every day. And it just simplifies life and, and helps us find a purpose in every single day. You don't have to go and find your big lofty purpose. It's your purpose for today. And if you've got a purpose every day to go and serve something like your own set of values, it's pretty easy to set some goals or create a framework to support yourself. How do you, the difference between, I guess, if people who do have those, like they've identified their, their values or their intrinsic motivators to them, how do you, what advice do you give people who may be in, I guess, a corporate environment where there are times where you have to go against your own value system? I feel like there's conflicting interests, whether it's business, other people, um, any practical tips or advice on how people might deal with that? Mm. Well, sometimes we do have to, but as long as it's got a boundary around it, like you'll be pushed so far, but then no, it's not for me, or maybe this job's not for me, or Sometimes, you know, when I go writing, I go away for five days and I write 16 hours a day, which is brutal. It is brutal for my health. It is terrible for chronic fatigue. It takes me a long time to recover, but it's the only way I can get the job done. Because when you're writing, you might write for five or six hours and then look up and think, oh, I haven't even eaten. You you so get in the flow and in the zone that it's against my values to do that. But it's a short, sharp period that will actually give me the achievement that I want at the end. So I think it's learning to work with them, but that's who you're working for ultimately. So the trade-offs sort of slider. Trade-off sliders. Yeah. 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 That's right. Oh, let's talk about writing a book. I think it's, you've written, how many, how many have you written now? I've just finished my seventh. Yeah. Seventh book. Well, I wrote the first one and I said to my husband, I'm done. Like, 
like there's nothing else in my brain. I've just put it all into the book and it's unbelievable. They just keep flying out now. And um, yeah, I wrote my first book, which was Simplify, Structure, Succeed, because I'd been coaching for 10 years and I kept saying the same thing to my clients. What are your values? What do you really want? Um, where are you going? Why are you going there? Um, is it working for you? What are the habits that are going to support you? Blah, blah, all the basics. And I thought, no, but nobody knows the basics. We don't learn them at school. We don't learn them at uni. So I'm going to put them into a book so I can just give my clients the book um, and, and they can remember all the times of, you know, what our foundation piece is and how do you get there? What are the life skills that we need in life and how can we get them to you earlier? So I thought, write a book, I can get it to more people. So I went away for four days and I, I basically wrote it all out and self-published, which cost a fortune. And um, my husband was like, I can't believe you're doing this, but I back you and I spent a lot of money. I published this beautiful book and end up selling a lot of copies. And then I went to Penguin and they said, oh, we love what you've done. Um, we'll, we'll take you on. And, and I said, I want a cookbook. Like I love Donna Hay cookbooks. I like, I like they, they look nice, they're clean, they're simple, they make me want to cook, it's not too heavy. I want a cookbook for life skills. So I, I developed the life plan through the cookbook department of the publishing house because they said, we've never seen anything like this. And I said, when I go to the self-help book section at, um, in, the, in the shop, it's so boring how do we make it like come to life? So my, my book was the first ever book that had pictures in it with self, with self help that, that was teaching people. Um, so it was really exciting. And, and um, yeah, I know. I was just thinking outside the square a little bit and just being true to myself of what I would have wanted. And I wanted people to put it on the coffee table, not on the shelf. So I wanted it to look so beautiful that it, it would have to be on the coffee table. So that's now sold nearly 100,000 copies and is going into other languages. And, and who would have thought, you know, who would have thought? But it's called The Life Plan and it's, it's really about, the writing is about how I actually would talk to you. So it's, it's me talking to you. It's not dry and it's not scientific. It's, it's practical and it's real life. So since then I've written a few more and I've just finished my, my next one, which will come out next year. And that's all about what happens when you get the curveball. You do get chronic fatigue or, you know, you do lose your business or, you know, you do, you do lose a loved one. Um, all of the things that I've coached people through over 20 years, it's sort of their stories. That's, 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 that'll be a good one. I can't wait to read that one. It must be pretty big buzz. Like you, you've done a lot of work with one-on-one -on -one and with teams, but, a book's something very different because you can help so many people from, you don't have to be there to know that you've sold so many copies and have had so many people read and hopefully take away some of the learnings and, and coaching advice that you've given. That must be a bit of a buzz. Yeah. I really love when people take a moment, if they've read something to write to the author. So I get lots of emails, people saying, you know, that book changed my life or I gave it to a friend and it changed their life. So thank you. You know, that means more to me than any book sale number. Even if one person does it, it's, it's, it's worked and it's helped somebody and it's serving somebody. I think that's really great. And when people make the effort to actually write back, um, oh, wow, I can't wait to write back to them. I'm like, thank you, thank you. Um, because I think it's really nice that we keep sharing um, these life lessons that we, that we all need to learn from. That's cool. We like, how good are compliments? Love compliments. Yeah. <laughs> Almost my favourite thing. <laughs> you look great today. I can see you. <laughs> um, what about, like, like you mentioned, like your new sort of uh, book that's uh, uh, coming up um, when, you know, problems might arise, like curveballs do come your way, like COVID for a lot of people who might have, you know, worked so hard, went to uni or, you know, another different path, a separate path and, um sort of struggling at the moment, they might be out of a job or struggling with their identity and, and stuff like that. How do you, what do you say to them? What are some sort of practical tips for them that they can sort of apply to their lives now in terms of mindset um, and stuff like that? Great question. And that's what I've been coaching the last 21 straight weeks on is been all about how do we handle this? And the first thing is to go, 
I'm allowed to grieve. Because whether you've lost your job or your business or know someone that has, we've also lost the ability to even go out walking with our mates, sit in a cafe and have a coffee, have that. There's a lot of grief that's sitting underneath whatever you're feeling. And I think it's really important for people to know that some of the feelings that are coming in are actually feelings of grief. It's not, oh, why am I flat today? Or why am I angry today? That's actually grief talking to you that you've lost your way of life or that we can't go to the footy or those sort of things that we took for granted have been taken away temporarily. And so the first thing is to, to allow yourself to have a bit of a, a grieving process that you're allowed to go through. And the second thing is you've got to heal. You've got to take a moment to catch your breath. I've lost my job. I've lost my business. I can grieve. I need to heal. I need to reset. I need to actually look after myself. I need to be gentle and kind. And then you've got to reset. You've got to make a new plan. You've got to think about, well, what can I do? So in our lockdowns, you know, what, how can I make this lockdown actually work for me? What are all those things that I put off that I could actually create a great list for myself now and knock off? You know, I always wanted to do the photo book and I never did or clean that out or I always wanted to write something I'll go and write or want to clean out my computer, just do things that make you feel like you have a sense of achievement. Because if you get, if you allow yourself to grieve and wallow for too long, it gets stuck. Um, so when people have those feelings come in of overwhelm or maybe a bit of anxiety today, or I feel really flat today, or I always invite people to get the yellow sticky notes out. And these are with me 24 seven and they just write down, I feel, shit today i feel like crap today i can't be bothered today and just write down the time because often you'll get probably 10 different emotions flow in and flow out over the day and we just get stuck on one and if we let them keep flowing through and just acknowledge them they actually go away um, and i invite all of my clients they write down their goal of the day on a sticky note and they just put it on their mirror or on their computer because the brain, our brain is like a computer and it needs a program for the day. It's so if we don't tell it what we want it to do today, it'll just sit in its old um, virusy programs that have been not ever updated and it will, it will sit in that stench of it. So if we don't give the brain something to focus on, it will just do whatever it wants to. So when we write down goal of the day or um, a list for the day, it gives the brain something to work towards and, and that's how we get motivation. And that leads into our next question. How, how important is goal setting? Oh, it's everything. It's everything. If you think you're a car and you're driving around the roundabout the whole time, it doesn't know where to go. The brain doesn't know what to do. It just keeps driving around the roundabout. And if you set a goal like, okay, we're going from Melbourne to Sydney, all of a sudden you go, oh, okay, I feel better. I know where I'm going. I know what action to take and what turn to take and when I need a pit stop. The brain just needs something to hold on to and a direction for it to think, a direction for it to plan. Um, it'll be working out, you know, how to protect you and what could happen. And it goes into a really incredible planning mode the minute you give yourself a goal. So then you can set up support crews and all kinds of things, but without the goal, it's treading water. It doesn't know what's happening. And then we create stuck energy and a stuck mind. What about like living through other people's set, like standard of goals? Like it could be going through the university process where you're like, you're not thinking too much. And it's like, well, these are the sort of the goals laid out for me in my life. Like that, that's what I've seen. That's what I've experienced. If I tick these off, I'll get this job and I'll get this. Is that like, I don't know, like in terms of goal setting and stuff like that, is that sort of following someone else's sort of path of success or is it create, like, how do you create your own sort of form of success and, and your sort of goals? Yeah, great question. There's the society sort of tick list, isn't there? Like, you know, go to school, go to high school, go to uni or get a job, buy a house, get married, have kids, and then what? There's no list after that, is there? There's mm. just no list. So there's a small society list that we can sort of hold on to, but I like to create your own from your own values about what makes you feel like you're coming alive. So I'm going to go to uni 
that doesn't guarantee me a job. I've, st I've, I've still got to follow my dream or my passion or my heart or what do I find interesting? What am I curious about? So I didn't go to uni and everyone else did. So I was the weirdo who didn't go to uni, but I just wanted to work. I wanted to be a stockbroker. So I watched Wall Street, the movie, and I thought Gordon Gecko was really hot and had lots of money and it was fun. So I was like, I'm going to be a stockbroker. So I just skipped uni and I went straight to work in the dungeon in the filing department um, 30 something years ago. So there's no women around. And I, within two years, I'd worked my way to be the first girl to sit on the desk, on the trading desk. And there was not, not, not another woman in sight. And I then saw that it was like um, the Wolf of Wall Street, the, the, the other one, the new Wolf of Wall Street type movie. It was not a place for girls Leo. to be. With Leo. Yeah. Leo, yeah. no, no, it was exactly like that. And I'm like, this is not a good place for girls to be. So I left and went traveling for a couple of years. But I didn't go to university and, and I really did buck the system because I just didn't want to study. And it wasn't until 30 I studied and that's when I studied life coaching because I was really ready and I wanted to. So I think it's about honouring yourself and, and doing what you want to do that your heart's telling you to do because there is no set recipe. There is no set roadmap. You've got to create your own. Well, I think that's the difficult part. From what I've seen is that you try to explain goal setting to someone and they can be like, oh, cool. But if you don't have that visionary state or some end place where you're trying to long-term, you don't know the path of how it's going to get there, but if you, you can at least build those incremental goals that can take you closer to where you're wanting to go. But if you haven't defined that visionary state, it's pretty hard to figure out where you want to go with goal setting. Yeah, and it might not be, I want the house and the car, and or it might be, you know, but um, on my website, there's free, um, I just put up a free vision board checklist and it's got all the words there to spark your brain um, because that's what people are missing is, Create the vision board is about putting up there what's interesting for you and what appeals to your better self. So it might be, I want to be fitter. I want to be happier. I do want to get married one day. I do want children one day or whatever it might be. And it draws you to make decisions towards mm -hmm. the vision that you want to create for yourself. So if you don't have a vision, it's very difficult. I coach a lot of footballers who the goal was not to win a premiership. The goal was to feel like a leader and to enjoy their football journey. And I said, is it really important to win the premiership? Well, that'd be nice, but, and it would be great and it would be amazing, but that's not why I'm here. I'm here to be the best version of myself every day. And when they got that concept and when they were really clear about that, um, it was much, much easier for them to turn up to training every day. One of my, one of my friends is a co who's a, who's also a coach who I work with ran me through um, the Eki Guy worksheet. Have you heard of the Eki Guy template? No. Um, I'll, I'll send you to it afterwards. But pretty much, it comes from like this. It's like Japanese for I don't know how we're trying to do it, but it it breaks down. I've got it up here, so I'm trying to. I won't stuff it up. Uh, need to know the Venn diagram. Pretty much, it's like to figure out things that you love, things you're passionate about, things that you're good at things that you can potentially be paid for, uh, things that the world needs, what your mission, what profession you might have. So it's like a mixture of different Venn diagrams. Uh -huh. I don't know that. Wow. Mm -hmm. you, you, you put all your, your thinkings where you think you live and it, what it finds out is all the same things as what you're curious about, what you're interested in doing. And it sort of helps you to try and find, um, I guess if you're on a pathway that you might not be on, some different ideas of how you might try and change it up. Yeah, it's about cool. being curious, isn't it? So a lot of people say, I don't know, I don't know. And it's about what questions you ask yourself is, what do you really want? I don't know. No, what do you really, really want? Oh, I just want to be happy. Okay, well, let's just start with there, you know. And then I'd say to them, every day I want you to write one thing you're curious about. And I'm, I might, I don't know, I've got my, my oils here that I've sort of put on when I'm coaching people. This I smell. And... Um, I'm curious about how they're made or what, what's actually in that that provokes that smell that makes me feel a certain way. So it could be I'm growing these herbs, but I actually don't know much about the herbs I'm growing or what I'm eating. So it will send you on a little pathway to maybe I'll Google that herb and what it does to my body. Um, or maybe I'll go to yoga, but I've never know what warrior one pose means. So maybe I'll Google warrior one pose and 
from there you develop a passion and passion comes from you know i'm growing tomatoes but i actually don't know what type of tomatoes i'm growing or what they really need it's a passion comes from being interested in actually what you're doing already mm, that's cool so yeah that's what i've always sort of thought too it's like always had this inkling of like i remember being a kid and going like why is this even so just asking the question like why do we even exist like what's the are we just awareness and went down that rabbit hole a bit and it's like you know what i mean like you start asking some serious questions about everything and then it sort of stems into the hobbies and <laughs> their deep thoughts for age of five huh? yeah. <laughs> i'm just sitting at the backyard going what is life <laughs> um what about some sort of frequent sort of problems that you sort of see come up um, in terms of, you know, clients that you work with and stuff like that. What are some common, yeah, common problems that you come across? Most people come to me because they want more clarity. So they're not quite clear on what, what am I doing? Where, why am I doing it? They want sort of a fresh direction so that they feel supported and they want a cracking plan, you know. Um, so clarity of direction and purpose. They want, they want more purpose in their day and they don't know how to find that because... There isn't a structure to make them feel that. So clarity, direction and purpose are really big with a big base of well-being is actually I need some coping strategies. I need some mental health and well-being strategies. So I need to build my toolkit. So that's probably in a nutshell what most people come to me for. And, and I have a coach myself. <clears throat> so every year, every three years, I should say, I employ a coach for the year and I have for the last 20 years because... I think to be an authentic coach, you have to know what it feels like to be coached. Um, it's like having a personal trainer that's not fit. Mm. You know, I, I want to work with a personal trainer that's just fully cut and fit and where I want to get to. If you don't have big arms, leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So don't tell me what to do if you haven't done it yourself. So I think it's really important that um, for coaches, they should be coached. So I employ a coach and every two weeks I've got that coach for half an hour in my ear, challenging me, why are you doing that? Is it working? Is it serving you? Where are you going? Let's think bigger, stop thinking small. What about this way, A, B and C? And they'll help you find a safe place to maybe explore a lot of the things you might be interested in that you can't sort of do with your friends and family. It's, it's so neutral that doesn't matter what you say, it's not wrong. Um, and you can really create some plans and have some accountability. So I have a coach too, and, and my life's great. I've got two enormous businesses and speak on stage to a thousand people. I still have a coach. It's like being a premiership player and you still have a coach. You, you, I think it's a really important thing at the moment because you have to go back to creating the recipe that works for you, not following or paleo's in so we all need to be paleo it might not work for your body it mm. might destroy your body so it's help having someone to keep shining the light back on you because both of you are so different and so individual that no plan's going to fit both of you so it's working with someone to really create your plan that's bespoke and and totally created around your thoughts and your beliefs and your upbringing and your what you want to create and your vision for yourself. And that's the importance of it. I think that's a cool point. If you look at um, sports as such a, such an interesting, like Roger Federer, Serena Williams, they've still got coaches, best players in the world, won all the grand slams. What is there to tell them? But the whole point is that's what the coach can do. And it's interesting when you look at uh, say sports in a business context and how you explain it is that people in the corporate world have to see themselves like star athlete. Yeah, they're a business athlete, absolutely. And, you know, the Roger Federer's and Serena Williams, so they're up on the board, actually, the old Fed, because um, I love him for calm confidence. He, he represents calm confidence to me. I love the Fed too. Oh, I mean, everyone loves the Fed. It's hard not to love yeah, them. And he's authentic and he, he's just himself and he's got his dry humour and, and he doesn't try to be anyone he's not. And that's such a great point that we need to keep our eyes on our own plate. And when you have a coach, they will stop you from comparing yourself to everybody else and totally focusing back on yourself. Because every time we compare our plan to everyone else's plan, we lose a lot of energy and we could have been just focusing on our own. So sorry, when, when Locke's dog has just gone off his head. <laughs> oh, fine, that's fine. He's back. We've had, it's been a shamozzle in the morning. That's I think. 
that's the whole point of COVID, isn't it? That oh, you got to adapt. Perfect. We don't need to be perfect anymore. And probably two years ago, if we we're doing a podcast, it would have to be in a studio. Um, the lighting perfect, the sound perfect. Um, not one tiny bus driving past. Whereas what COVID's done is allow us all to be human. And mm. it doesn't have to be perfect. I've got a guy here soaring out the front, you've probably heard, and you've got the dog and it doesn't matter. It's the connection that we have that matters and the perfectionism of everything is, has gone out the window and progress is taking over and that's so much more important. I think that's cool too. I had some, we were just talking about that. People yeah. have been grounded. Like you can yeah. see, you talk to different people there, like you humanize people, you know what I mean? You're like, oh yeah, they're just normal. Hey, I've got a dog at parks. It's annoying, you know. <laughs> I understand. Yours? We've got something in common, you know. <laughs> and we, we love like the dog barking because he's 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 not on your agenda. Yeah, he's on his own agenda, and um, and God bless him for that, you know. So I think they're they're teaching us that we don't have to be so perfect because, you know, when we were talking about burnout before, is a lot of burnout comes because everyone was trying to be so perfect and do so much and put all this pressure on themselves that we have to look like this and I have to wash my hair and, you know, we should have a suit on and what are we wearing and what's it going to look like and what are they going to think of us? Whereas now, yeah, we're seeing in everyone's lounge rooms, you mm. know, we're seeing t people's terrible bookshelves and, <laughs> and whatever state they're in and, and it's all okay. It's really nice. I think that's a big positive that's come out of this. It's definitely grounded a lot of people. It's funny being on being on so many different um, Zoom calls or just video calls, and you're like, oh, these people stand up. They're in track. Like I'm in trackies at the moment. I don't want to admit it, but I am. And probably UGG boots. And stuff. No, no, no UGG boots. I've got, <laughs> yeah. I have got socks on, but we're uh, all good. My slippers on. Oh, I love them. <laughs> Are they rabbit slippers too? They're rabbit slippers. I'm, I'm, oh, look, my husband has just come in with a copy. Yeah, that's uh, oh, that's not bad. Good books. <laughs> good books, huh? So I used to have to wear the suit and the high heels and, you know, get the makeup done and go on the stage. And I'm thinking, I'm now sharing the same things with my husband walking in with a, a takeaway coffee, God bless him, and my, my bunny rabbit slippers on. And how beautiful is that, that we can, that we can just be real and really honest and, and say that life just isn't perfect. And we often would see those people on stage and think their life was perfect. And didn't realize that she had depression and chronic fatigue and and she's got two teenagers and a husband and they, they didn't see that sort of side of things they, they only saw one dimension let's see is the the difference between seeing yourself as work is your only identity and the human element of someone there's more, more dimensions there's more elements there's more depth yes yes and it makes us all feel together it makes you feel like you're not alone or how did they get to be so successful and it wasn't, you can see that it's not happened overnight. It's taken a long time to get to this sort of position. And I think when we're doing these fantastic interviews and you know, congratulations boys for, for doing this because it's just sharing stories and it, you, you don't know the ripple effect that that might have for somebody. They might listen to one of your interviews or hear one of your questions that you asked and that could change their course. That could change their roadmap. Oh, that's, that's exactly what we're sort of seeing at the moment. That's not what we sort of expected at the start. And we're like, you know, who, who the hell are we, whatever. And it was, it was more like, oh, the guests we get on, they'll t have some takeaways from them. But when people are actually reaching out to you personally and saying, hey, I like the way you do that or I like the way you do that, it feels good and it knows that, like, oh, that's helped me be myself in my work. And it's like, okay, now there's some, a bit of momentum. It's not just me. It's other people now. And it's like, it feels good and it makes you want to do it more. Yeah. I mean, I used to think that when I used to um, present on stage and there'd be like 500 bankers and there was me in the, in the curtain, in the wings going, oh my God, I'm just a mum from Hampton. Who am I? And look at all these successful people. And then I would have to t tell myself that they want to know. You need to share the knowledge that they're looking for. You haven't. So go and share it. And and it's really hard in the beginning because, you, like you just said, or who are we? Well, you're two great, awesome guys who are taking action and doing something. And look what it's look at the doors it opens for you, which is which is the result of taking the action. So you could be sitting there just listening to everyone else, or you could be having great fun 
and doing it for yourselves and meeting lots of people and sharing messages with the world. So hopefully it does fill your souls. Oh, love that. No, it's been, it's been a pretty cool experience so far for us. Like couldn't expect some of the outcomes that we've had already. And it's yeah, been able to pick the brains and meet people like yourself. It's just, it's been unreal for us, but knowing that's definitely helping others and there's an element there that's giving back. that's bigger than us. It's also a cool thing to be a part of. Talk to us about like on your, on your website, we're massive on wellbeing and like wellbeing specialist. What, what, how do you define wellbeing and what does it mean to you? Wellbeing means um, what are you doing for your health? And health doesn't mean do you feel good. It means mental health, physical health, emotional health and spiritual health. And spiritual doesn't mean God, it means belonging to something, your sense of belonging in the world. So well-being is about if any of those pillars, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, are low on their little marbles in the bottle, you can't radiate in the world. You can't give to other people. You can't help other people. You can't support people. You can't feel happy. You can't feel joy. You can't have fulfillment in life. So well-being strategy is actually really important that people understand. It's not, oh, why am I feeling great today? There's four big elements that make you feel great. And all of them need a mini plan or some great habits to support them to give you a chance to even get up and shine. So I think well-being is really important and finding your tools and your tips that actually help you do that. For me, I'm really visual. So there's vision boards, um, there's quotes around. On my website, there's free downloadable screensavers. So I change my screensavers all the time that talk to me and tell me. Like my one today is I should probably kick some ass today. So I, I train my brain, which is the computer that sends the messages to the body. So with your system with chronic fatigue is, I could say to myself, oh my God, today's going to be exhausting. Because it, it is, because there's so much on today. Or I could say to myself, I'm going to let today be easy and effortless and I'm going to flow with it. So I program that in and then take away the stress of me saying, oh my God, it's going to be the biggest day ever. Mm, so yeah. so that's that brain training. Shout out to my sister too. She's, yeah. I don't give her enough credit. I love she, Alice. She's a superstar. She um, went through high school with chronic fatigue and the rest of it. Now she's studying to be a vet with a scholarship to uni. She's a brainiac. She's the smart one of the family, even though I don't tell her in person, but still doesn't, she doesn't, she's the dumbest smart person. Is that, is that a backhanded compliment? Is that a backhanded compliment? No, love you, Alice. Let me send her a copy of the life plan for sure. Um, what about talk the difference between in your coaching, if you help the difference between uh, coaching individuals and coaching teams? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Individuals is a really deep dive into them and strategizing with them and, and creating like a 10-year plan and plotting. It's like a big chess game and it's really fun. Um, teams is about delivering skills. It's about teaching people how to create a vision, how to set goals, how to find their values, how to create mental health and well-being coping strategies and giving them some examples. And I think um, both are needed. You know, it's like you're going to a lecture versus working with your tutor. Mm. Um, it's, it's quite different, but it's sort of the same stuff. A hundred percent. I think it's interesting when you think about if you've got your own, how do you fit a group of people all motivated by different things together in a team to work for some bigger outcome? Like the premiership. Like the premiership. Isn't yeah. it? Sports is an easy analogy to come back to, yeah. but yeah. for us, it's, just, it's easy to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I love sport theory. I'm sold. Um, yeah, it's 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 like that. And when, you know, when I did coach athletes, a lot of it was to it was about the vision. So we want to win the Olympics, and it was about them having the Olympic rings up um, above their bed, so that when they were really tired and they hated their sport and they they their bones were hurting and it was raining and they couldn't be bothered anymore, that they just knew subconsciously the journey that they were on and. When you're part of a footy club, you become part of part of a family. And we want the whole family to have the same vision. And we want to have a code of conduct that will help us get there. And it's about making people feel like they are part of the journey. And that's that spiritual part of your health where you feel like you belong somewhere. 
I like that. When we spoke to Paul Ruse, he spoke specifically around linking a set of behaviors. So a lot of, a lot of companies, when he goes in there with his performance by design, what he does, he said that a lot of companies might have the vision statement or the mission statement, but how do you bring that stuff to life? So whether that is the code of conduct or linking it to a set of behaviors that create standards where people can actually hold each other accountable for doing and keeping those things together. Yeah, because people need to be a part of the dream, don't they? If they don't feel that, they sh- well, number one, they shouldn't be there. But if they don't feel like I really want that, it's really hard because you'll get the people that come in and sabotage everything or ruin things for other people. So it's really hard to um, get people, number one, they need to care about themselves enough first to care about the outcome of the team. Yeah. Can you care about others? Huh? <laughs> I think, uh, isn't it? Like the way- yourself, you can't care about others. That's you can't it. live what you don't have. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, they, they might think it might be a bit selfish to, to care about yourself or put yourself first to put these strategies in place to take the time. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's what I found. That's what I found personally. I was like, oh, if I, if I spend my time, if I take a day off from what's going on and stop everything and take a day for myself, then I'm sabotaging what I've been working on and losing the momentum of what we're doing. But it, I need to remind myself to bring myself back and go, well, if, I, if I'm operating at 20%, like it's no good the next day. And, and that's the sort of realisation I learned the hard way probably, you know? It's a little bit like, is self-care selfish? It's really not. It's like the oxygen analogy in the plane. It's like if you take the day off, it means you're going to fill your tank with oxygen so you can put the mask on first and then go and help 25 other people. If you can't be bothered filling up your tank or you don't value that your tank should be full of oxygen and you just do little bits of whatever's left in your tank and help a couple of people, you can't radiate, you can't shine, you can't be a leader. So leaders take time out to refuel. Leaders take the time to sit in the plan and think it through and make sure it's right. They reflect. They reflect and they reset all the time. They don't just barge through. The people that keep barging through are the people that feel like they're on the treadmill of life. They're exhausted. They don't feel in control. They're usually not happy. They're usually carrying a lot of resentment because their tank's empty because they refuse to go and fill it. So every time you want to take that time out to go and fill your tank, you know that you're going to come back a better person. So if It's about honouring yourself so that you show up being the best version of yourself for your family, for your friends, for your work. You want to show up being on your A in your A team. You know? Yeah. I think you touched on something there too that was probably our next thing that we we like to talk about was um, we spoke earlier about goal setting, but now we've just touched on the importance of reflection and reviews. Do you want to touch on some of like some personal reflection strategies people could use to help? look at how they're tracking and how they're going. Maybe if they've got to the point where they've been able to set some goals, how important is it to embed that structure of reflection? And celebration. Yeah. So people go from one goal to the next goal to the next goal without maybe stopping for take a breath and maybe celebrate and give yourself a high five or I don't know, celebrate in some way before you go into the next one. Cause that's your refuel. That's your, that's your sense of achievement. That's your motivation. And if we go from one to the next to the next without the reflection or the celebration, you're just exhausted. So you might achieve a whole heap of stuff, but it's not going to feel good and no one cares anyway. So it's about building fulfillment into your life by having that time to reflect. So I spend, I invite my clients to book in one day a month, which is a, a meeting with yourself at some stage, whether it's half a day or a whole day, a meeting with yourself, where you think of the whole next month ahead and you think it through and you plan it and you think, where's the joy? Where's the fun? Where where am I gonna get my goals down? Where am I gonna work hard? And where, where am I gonna refuel? So it's like doing your marathon plan. You know, you might be halfway through the marathon. If you don't stop, stop at those drink stations along the way, and maybe check in with how your cramping's going and how you're feeling and take a sip of Gatorade before the next part of the marathon. You just keep running through, you'll you'll push aside those feelings and then a lot of the time people won't make it to the end. 
No. We talk a lot about celebrating little wins. Oh, we love the little wins. We love the little wins. Any little, any little bit of positivity, it's, yeah. it's straight in the inbox. Maybe we're probably too far one way. Yeah. Too far one way. Yeah, it's a bit like that. Yeah, maybe it's gone a bit too far. The head's a bit big. Oh, yeah. Is it time to celebrate? Is it time to celebrate? <laughs> Can you overindulge? Is that a thing? <laughs> Yeah, but, I know, it's important. Reflection and goal setting and all that's good stuff. But, uh, we're definitely on the board with fun is that if you're going to work really hard and do all this stuff, if you, if you don't take that moment to reflect and acknowledge the good work you've done or how far you've come or all those sort of things, then like, how do you know what you need to plan for next if you just can't take... What's the point of doing it? What's the point of doing it? <laughs> you know, life's meant to be fun, yeah. for surely. That's why people often feel out of alignment and miserable and come to me and say, why do I feel miserable when I've achieved all this stuff? It's because, you know, a lot of the opportunities in front of us are distractions. They're not taking you towards your vision. But people go, oh, that looks shiny. I'll just go over there and then I'll go over there. That looks shiny without maybe sitting in it for a minute and saying, do I actually really want that? Is, does it serve my values? Does it feel good? It was shiny, so I just went and did it, and now it doesn't feel good. Now I'm stuck there. So the reflection and taking time to sit in the opportunity is important. You know, my, my coach said to me, how many talks do you want to do a week? And I went, six, six or seven, you know, mm. because they're financially incredible and there's hundreds and thousands of people. And then, you know, I had to say to myself, well, hang on, I've got to sit in that. So I sit in it, and I think that would be horrific. Can you imagine being on stage times a week, how many flights that would be, early mornings, 4 a.m. starts, hotels by yourself. I was like, oh, maybe two. Two, two would be good. <laughs> so I got very excited about two talks a week or one talk a week because in reality, the thought of doing six would destroy my health for a start. It would destroy it. Um, I'd achieve a lot financially. I'd achieve a lot of inquiries but then I wouldn't be able to do them all because I would be in bed. Mm. So if you can sit in the opportunity or sit in what you think you want and you really think about, okay, I'm already doing it, you often go, actually, I don't really want that. That's what my brain said it wanted, but really not my heart. And sometimes, like, like you said earlier, like, you know, when to, you can go hard and recharge, like, I know I need to do this and it's only a short amount of time to smash through it. And the trade-off is... Everything else sucks for a bit, but it's going to give me the next step to... Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, for example, last week, um, I rented an Airbnb, which is one kilometre from our house. Because, <laughs> you know, we're not allowed to leave the suburb. So I have um, a contract with Penguin and I needed to write a book. And I've got months to write the book, but I thought... It's not going to happen with my husband home, my dog, my two kids, a mini renovation going on. I'm like, I can't write a book. It's not going to happen. I said to my husband, I have to make this dream come true. And the only way that I can see is for me to remove myself from home and launch in. And I wrote for five days straight, 16 hours a day. So my eyes were like, had blood, blood, <laughs> like the eye drops going. Um, my eyes hurt so much, my fingers hurt, my back hurt, I didn't walk, I didn't move, but I got my 50,000 words out and it's awesome because I just hurt myself and I went in hard. But then when I came home and he said, let's go for a walk around the block, I could hardly walk. Yeah. And it's taken me four or five days now of not pushing myself too hard and maybe not putting the perfect meal on the table and saying we're having baked beans on toast and just taking that pressure off that I don't need to get up and walk at 6am every day this week because I actually need to put the, the pebbles back in because I, I just lot out. So it's that dancing with it and adjusting, but now I can go and play with my book for an hour or two here and little paragraphs but the thought of trying to do that over a long period was more exhausting. And the support and communication, I suppose, is a big thing as well with that when you, when you are doing that and working on yourself, um, making sure, you know, if you do have a partner or other, you know, responsibilities that you're getting that yeah. across and explaining that this is, this is exactly why I'm doing it. This is the reason why I'm doing it and being a bit more transparent. Is that sort of oh, key? 
that is key, absolutely key, is sitting down with my kids and my husband saying, I think this is the only way I can do it. Um, are you willing to support me? And I know that's going to put all of you out for a week. And then mum's going to be probably hopeless for the next week. You're not going to have very much nice food or whatever. Um, are, are you up for the challenge? And they're like, mum, you go, because we want to see that book on the shelf. So um, I think you've got to really talk about your goals and with the, with the people that support you, the dreamer, the dream keepers, not the dream stealers. You know, there's a lot of those out there too that would say, why would you write a book? No one reads a book anymore. That's what people said when I wrote The Life Plan um, five years ago. And it really hurt. And they said, oh, everyone has Kindle now. And I was like, well, I really love holding a book and writing in a book and smelling the pages. So I'm doing it for myself and my client. Yeah. I knew it. So I really learned a big lesson about who you share your goals with and mm -hmm. your dreams with is beware of the dream stealers because they can, they can actually park your goal for you pretty quickly. And just share with maybe one or two that are your cheerleaders who go, no, do it, do it. You know, you can do it. It'll be fun. What's the worst thing that can happen? And those people will help you move forward really quickly who are people that encourage you to keep going rather than people saying, well, why would you do that? Mm. Yeah. yeah. How, how important are support networks then? Like it's exactly what you're talking about is like, how do you surround yourself with the right people or identify these traits? So how do you find the difference between a drill, what is it, a dream? Dream stealer. Dream stealer or a, dream, or a cheerleader? Is that what it's yeah. about? Um, well, you, you know, the minute that someone says to you, oh, you boys want to start a podcast and they go, no, I don't know about that. You know, instantly don't talk about it with them mm. anymore. And the person that you said, I think we're going to do that. And they go, that'd be awesome. How fun. They're the ones that you go, okay, uh, I need to, to maybe hash out some ideas with that person because they've got that growth mindset. So you've either got a fixed mindset or a growth mindset and you want to work with people or only discuss certain things with people with a growth mindset because they will help you move forward. They'll push you, they'll challenge you, they'll be your cheerleader. Whereas others will say, mm, I don't know. It's too you hard, know, can't be bothered or that, that'll never work. Glass half full, you want the optimist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you have a project or a goal, just be careful who you, who you share that goal with. Because it can deflate you, like if you do have ideas. And if that's your one sort of support thing or the one person you're bouncing ideas off and they're just constantly crushing your dreams, you can probably <laughs> go down a bit of a rabbit hole. I was totally devastated after that, that comment. It took me a little while to get over. And the other one was when I wanted to be a life coach, um, everyone said I was a complete idiot. They were like, what are you doing? Mm. How can you give up helicopters and aeroplanes to be a life coach for these athletes? And no one, and it was only my husband was the, not even my family, they didn't understand it. It was only my husband that said, I believe in you. And I, I can see you shining in this, and this is your calling. And it was only one person that supported me, only one. And everyone else was like, go back to your corporate job, go back mm -hmm. to the money, go back to the, the shiny lights. Mm -hmm. But he said, I think you should try this. And he's still bringing your coffees and into he, yeah. the interviews. <laughs> the love is strong. He's been married 17 years. And he's man, he's like the king. He does sound like the king. Yeah. <laughs> great guy. He's such a great guy. He's, um, he's the CEO of Snow Australia, so he runs winter sport for the country. No big deal. Cool so, he'd be a busy man. I've, only, I've, I've never really even been to the snow. Oh, mate, you're missing out. It is the best. I walked in some snow once. It was pretty cold, but I've never been to like the, I've never been like on a snowboard. It's odd, isn't it? I've never been on a snowboard. I just never tried. I'd like to. Yeah, get yourself there. It's just magical. Uh, it's probably time to so he, he, get he was a little bubble. He, um, he was, you know, the Olympic team manager and a job came up for the CEO and, you know, a lot of people like, well, you're not a CEO, you're a guy in hiking boots and he didn't even have a suit. And I said to him, I reckon you can do it and don't even come home unless you try. And so he, he went for it and he got it because he, he didn't have the CEO skills that they could be taught, but he knew the politics and he knew, he knew everything about snow. It was, had been his life. And then he commentated for the Olympics and, 
you know, I said, I believe in you. I think you can do it. I love your voice. Get out there. And he ended up commentating with Eddie Maguire at the opening ceremony. I mean, who would have thought? So that is cool. It's really nuts. So be careful because some people go, well, you haven't commentated anything before. Mm. Yeah. Just yeah. you've got to be careful. So I think it's a really important point that people forget is they sit around with their mates going, we want to do this and they'll all tell you what's bad about it. Mm. What about the ones who like have no mates who are optimistic and they can they cling to anything else like in terms of anything external in terms yeah, of that's why that's why you get a coach yeah true yeah. Uh, so, so, the, so the coaches that i've had along my journey have always pushed me to be greater they've never told me ever not once will a coach tell you to back down it the coach will be that person on the sideline with the whistle going, come on, go harder, you can do it. We can break through this limiting belief or this barrier that you've got, you've got to try. And they'll, they'll be there holding your hand while you're trying. So if you don't have those people, um, you know, when I first became a coach, the first thing I did was employ a coach to hold my hand as I was trying to break through all the limiting beliefs that I had about, oh, what if I'm not a good coach? And what if it doesn't work? And they, they keep pushing you forward. It's like, just go, just try. That's important, isn't it? Yeah, you need that cheerleader, that, that someone on your side. It's also that other people's opinions aren't more, they don't carry more weight than your own. Mm. No, no, they don't. You're, you're, you've got to lie in bed at night with your own dream and, and go back into your own soul and go, yeah, it, it makes me feel alive. I think I want to do it. And feel the fear and you do it anyway. That's gross. I love that. You've inspired me. I'm, I'm charged up. To be honest, I had a pretty, you know, hectic morning, but you've, um, you've made me feel good in the space of what, 45 tell, minutes. Tell now. the story about last night though. Oh yeah. It was funny as I tagged you in a post on Instagram. I was in bed and I was watching a, a podcast with you drinking tea. I'm sorry. I forget the, the name of the YouTube video, the, the podcast, but you, you spoke about um, not having your phone in bed past nine o'clock and it was like, 10.30 at night or something and I posted and I'm like, ooh, she's going to see that. I'll, I'll delete that yeah. one. So I don't know if you got the notification, but I was trying to play it cool. <laughs> yeah, that's my biggest challenge for people is not to sleep with the phone in the bedroom and to go and buy an alarm clock because your subconscious brain can't refuel. You know, we're talking about the oxygen tank. When your phone's there, that's the last thing you touch before you go to sleep is all your work emails and breaking news and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and everything. So your brain hasn't had a chance to just settle before it can sleep. And then what's the first thing you touch? Your phone. Mm. You gotta turn the alarm off your phone. So instantly, the minute you touch it to turn the alarm off, you've set off a stress response in your body instantly. So people that say, I'm tired, I don't sleep properly, I can't fall asleep, whatever. All of my clients must remove the phone from the bedroom for me to coach them. And they're completely different people. Um, so it's a pretty big invitation for you. But sleep, I must protect my sleep. And if I don't want my teenagers to sleep with a phone under their pillow, I can't either. So my job is to protect them and their sleep as well. And if you think of filling up the, the glass in the river and the water's all muddy and murky and when you sit it down and it's still and the sediment goes to the bottom and then the water is clear, it's what you want to do for your brain before it goes to sleep. You don't want to go to sleep with all that murky mud that you'll wake up at two in the morning and try and process it all. So oh, you turn it off, yeah. turn it off, you watch a bit of telly, a bit of Netflix, but you're off that whole um, addictive device where we refresh, 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 and stuff 25 new images in every minute that your brain then has to go and process it to in the morning. If you just give it a chance to breathe before you go to bed, you will sleep completely differently. There's, there's three books in the top of my head that come to this exact topic, which is one, Cal Newport, which is digital minimalism. He talks to like disconnecting from technology, allowing yourself room to, to breathe and like grow away from the distraction, indistractable is one by Nuriel. We've talked about that one before, which is spot on that. Like how talking around how technology products are built to get your attention. And when you understand that the core purpose of what it is, it's an attention game. 
then you've got to be more aware about where you give your attention. So it's they're exactly built, that. They're built to, to build the neural pathway in the brain of addiction. That's it. Yeah. Like gambling. Yeah. Like gambling. Like yeah, gambling. Yeah. The last one is atomic habits. So it's like going to bed with a TAB next to your head. That's what you're doing. And losing money. <laughs> and the last one is um, Atomic Habits by James Clear. He talks about that one and it's, it's pretty much that. Like I've, I did his, he had this thing in the back of his book was like, map out your habits for the day in one day and you have a plus or a minus. So whether you think it's a, you go through your daily routine from the moment you wake up through the moment you go to bed and just write down what you do. So I was like, all right, plus minus. And I was amazed at how much one, how much time I spent just like doing unproductive, like TV, vegging out, which is fine because you have to recharge and do whatever, but being aware of what your day actually looks like, it's a bit of a shock factor. I was like, oh, <laughs> move that one away. Yeah. Comic Habits is a great book and he, he talks a lot about habit stacking. Mm, love that. You know, uh, that's my favourite thing out of that book is when you're already doing something, what could you stack on top of it that would make it better? So when you're washing your hands every day, you could stack on, take three deep breaths. Mm. And that could be your mini me pause moment for the day to just ground yourself and center yourself. On top of that, you could connect, look in the mirror and have a conversation with your best friend, which is yourself staring back at you. You've got this, it's okay. You're tired today, that's okay. So that washing hands could all of a sudden be a refuel. It could be a reconnection point. It could mean a whole lot more than washing your hands. Well, it's just a starting point, yeah. That's, that's a good book. I really like that one. Mm. Habit stacking was... Compound habits. Like, yeah. Compound habits. It was, yeah, yeah, it's pretty much talking about like you can how easily you can... One, you've got to identify that you've got some... Ha like what habits you have But first. do you take the day off like to do all that? Like how... Like can you over plan like your, what you're thinking about and how you're structuring it up? Like can there, can there be too much where you're like, I've done this and done that? Like I've got to do now. Yeah. You've got, you got to get in do mode. Right. It can be paralyzing. So I always invite, when you work with the coach, you'll only make one change at a time. So say it's washing your hands, I would get them to put a sticky note on the um, soap bottle that says breathe. Okay, yeah. Right? So until that becomes normal, then you add on another one. So I've got a sticky note on the car dash that says breathe and podcasts. So I know, don't put the news on only listen to podcasts in the car. So you'll, every time you're driving, I'm going to learn something or mm. whatever. That's my podcast time. So when we have these sticky notes and we try to, you know, when you brush your teeth, you might do a bit of gratitude work. You, you, you add things on until they become normal and then you add on again. But if you try and do it all at once, oh, it's just, it's too hard. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. It's like trying to, what is it, learn to run before you can walk? You know, mm. one thing at a time, incremental changes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I, we've realised we've we've chewing up your time today, but thank you so much for jumping on and chatting with us. It's been so good. Wonderful. And you guys are great. And I think that you're going to have the best journey doing this. And what a great way to connect with humans and be human and share stories. And well done to both of you. And I hope people have learned one or two things. And I hope everyone goes and buys a copy of The Life Plan and spends some time just learning these basic life and wellness skills that become your foundation love that thanks so much for blowing our minds and, yeah, and yeah. go buy a book and go buy a buddy book it's amazing <laughs> or go on the website there's lots of free stuff <laughs> <laughs> perfect shana kennedy what's going on how good was that episode yeah look i know we always say it after every episode that was the best one ever but this was actually the best one ever well it's just if you want some help and understand where you want to go in your life she's given some pretty good practical tips on and tips and strategies that you can apply for yourself. But I don't know getting to pick her brain and understand her experience that she's had over such a long career doing and working and coaching people to better, happier lives, well-being specialist, seriously, clarity, direction, purpose, all about it. It's not bad, is it? 